Hello and welcome back. The orientation you just watched gives a brief overview of what's available on the Action for Canada website and we play it every week during the pre-show. However, there is so much more content and information on our website, so be sure to log in often and check it out. The orientation as well as recordings of each week's Empower Hour are available on our website for you to rewatch or to share with your family and friends. Now, if you know anyone who right now might be interested in joining us for tonight's webinar, be sure to invite them right away. Our great big thank you to everyone who partners with Action for Canada and for contributing to this cause. We are volunteer run and 100% supported by your donations. Any amount helps and we're so very grateful for every donation that we receive. God bless you for sharing. Your donations enable us to provide free resources, solutions and hope to Canadians all across our nation. Please join us every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at 7 a.m. Pacific time for our prayer time on Zoom. On Tuesdays at 4.30 p.m. Pacific time, you can join Tanya for Taboo Talks, where she tackles some of the tricky topics that others are unwilling to talk about. If you go to the Youth Freedom Movement page, you can watch the speeches that several of the A4C youth have posted. And, of course, we're always promoting the local Action for Canada chapters. So if you aren't already part of a chapter, we invite you to sign up and get involved. If you have any specific prayer requests, please let us know so we can pray for you. The information you share will be kept confidential. Here at Action for Canada, our goal is to provide resources so you can be educated, strengthened, and empowered to stand up for truth and for your rights and freedoms. To all of you who volunteer your time and skills, and for those who pray for us, thank you. I always feel that a simple thank you doesn't even come close to expressing how grateful we are. Please know we appreciate you so much. For myself, I want to say thank you to Tanya Ga and to the Empower Our crew for all the work you do. I thank God for each one of you. And now it's time for the Empower Hour. Hello, my friends, and welcome to the June 29th, 2022 Empower Hour. It's so good to see you all here tonight. If you can think of anyone right now who might be interested in joining us, just a reminder, be sure to invite them right now, and the, it will be popping the link in the chat for you. We have a great show planned for tonight. Coming up is Action for Canada's founder, Tanya Ga, with her weekly updates. And tonight, she'll be joined by Tom Quiggan. Tom will be talking about his concerns regarding the top leaders of the RCMP and their support of government corruption at provincial and federal levels. Action for Canada is a grassroots movement reaching out to millions of Canadians and uniting our voices in opposition to the destructive policies tearing at the fabric of our nation. Through call to action campaigns, we equip citizens to take action. We are committed to protecting faith, family and freedom. 
I'm so honored each week to be able to introduce you to Tanya Gaw, the founder and leader of Action for Canada. And every week I always feel that I can never say enough about her. She's such an incredible person. She's a woman of faith, integrity, and passion. She inspires us with her actions and words. She empowers us to stand strong in truth and to stand up for our rights and freedoms. She loves Canada and is fighting on behalf of all citizens from shore to shore. Tanya, we are so grateful for your knowledge, your leadership, and your commitment. Thank you, and God bless you, and welcome. Hi there, and welcome everyone. We're happy to be here for another Empower Hour Run. I'm super looking forward to the show tonight. Um, this has been, I think, on people's radar and a real concern for a, a long time, especially in the last two years, what's happening, you know, with law enforcement in this country. I've always said that, you know, countries that didn't fall into tyranny are the ones where the uh, military and the police stood behind the people and not the government. And we're calling on our law enforcement to really reconsider their position and stand for Canadians, stand up for their oath. All right, thank you again for that, Heather. I am going to get straight into the web page and just cover a few matters and so that we can bring Tom on and uh, hear from him. So Trenzi, I'm just gonna share my screen. All right, so um, as I like to do every, every week, I like to start with the uh, map of Canada and all those wonderful little red maple leaves on there representing chapters for Action for Canada. Um, we have put, had put a bit of a pause on increasing those chapters because we just needed to do uh, a little bit of extra work administratively, et cetera, here at Action for Canada because we were growing so quickly and we really want to be effective. It's not about quantity, it's about quality of the chapters and building the communities when, within each of these areas. And so we're commencing uh, the vetting process again and we're looking at um, having more leaders. Like I said, we don't only want to be in 338 ridings, we want to be in every town and community across Canada. So if this is of uh, interest to you, if you want to be a chapter leader, we could sure use your help. It is such an important role to play. I think it's one of the best strategies in Canada right now because, as we've said, the WEF and the UN have said they're going to use the cities um, in order to implement their nasty agenda because they're closest to the people. So we got to take back our city councils, we got to take back our school boards, and it's going to start by really, really growing up our communities and our numbers uh, within each one of them. All right, uh, just a little bit of uh, um, updates here. We're working on the website again to try to make it as user-friendly as possible. We'll be posting the Empower Hour on the homepage. We've got the uh, call to action, which takes you to the weekly action page, as well as, I mean, this is a huge campaign right now across Canada that Action for Canada is commencing, um, bringing awareness of the sexualization of our children in the uh, public school systems, private and in our libraries, pretty much throughout society. And it's got to come to an end. Um, a friend of mine uh, posted a link, sent me a link today, and it was from, it was actually the National Post and a new group, I believe it's uh, Gays Against, I'll have to make sure I get that right. I've lost the link for a moment, but they're against the uh, radical agenda 
to sexualize children. They said their community has been hijacked. I've been saying that for six years, that this is not about the gay and lesbian community who just want to live their life. It's about radical sexual deviants who want to interfere with our kids. And so I've been calling on the gay and lesbian community saying, don't leave it up to us, <laughs> you know, on the front line of this, we need you to have a voice in it because this is going to strongly affect you know, how far you have come, it's going to super duper undo it, because people are becoming very intolerant. Uh, they don't know how to separate the gay and lesbian community from the radical trans community. And, and so uh, they need to have a voice and they need, need to get active. So I was happy to hear about that. So we are doing a few updates to the webpage. We have one of the most comprehensive uh, World Economic Forum websites, I think, um, anywhere to be found. Uh, Jenny has been working very hard on that with the assistance of Sheila. And so go in and check out the WEF. We have it as a whole. We have it as a WEF within Canada, the universities, just a real breakdown of the information. Um, of how far they've infiltrated. And when you look at it, it can be quite intimidating to think how strategic they have been over the last 40 years to get people into uh, select positions with authority in order to bring the agenda that we're now faced with today, which is um, dominant uh, world governance and basically a communist uh, agenda. Okay, uh, I've been asked to as well under join if you go to Empower Hour, you'll see this little drop down. Sorry, I've got the little pop up in the way. Just a moment. Let me try that again. All right. And what happens on, on this page is every time we have an Empower Hour in the chat, we are providing links that correspond with the speaker. This is the page that you can come to if you ever wished you had a link from David Lindsay, for instance, on the coronation note, you can come here and, and get that information. So come and just uh, take a look at this page. If there's something that you were thinking in the past, we've got it categorized as well. Our team is doing just an amazing job trying to make sure that, uh, you know, when people come on our website, they're not overwhelmed and can find the information that's most important to them. Because Action for Canada covers a lot of different issues in a hopes to help educate the masses and bring more awareness. Uh, last week on the Empower Hour, I gave a presentation on the sexualization of our children, where that's coming through the World Economic Forum and the UN. Um, it's been in the makings for many, many years, and I'm just very pleased to say that Canadians are finally reaching a limit as to how much they're going to feel that they need to be forced to accept. What's happening to our children is, is grooming uh, them for uh, pedophilia, for pedophiles to, to make room, but more tragically, uh, what's happening through the SOGI resource and the Comprehensive Sexual Education Program is, of course, it is leading to kids going on to damaging puberty blockers and or undergoing surgeries, and this is sterilizing them. Wonderful world, world population control method. Um, it's horrific. These people need to be stopped. So I'll be uh, sending this out as an urgent action with a call to action at the bottom with the notice of liability to put a stop to the SOGI 123 learning resources, remove all the sexually explicit and pornographic books and prohibit these drag queens, these vile drag queens from having access to our children. All right, so uh, that'll be in your mailbox hopefully tomorrow morning. Now, for those of you who are new, 
under calls to action, you go to weekly emails and you'll be able to find the information that we put out each week. This week, um, I decided that I was going to provide a special report. I have been working with the BCRCMP. This is now, he used to be Assistant Commissioner McDonald. He is Deputy Commissioner in charge of E-Division. That's a big job. He answers directly to Commissioner Lucky. And this is Superintendent Blackadar. That's his right-hand mind, uh, right-hand man under the Crimes uh, Division for E-Division. These two gentlemen have had all of the information I think needed for them to commence an investigation, and they have refused to do so, saying that the uh, standard is so high uh, within BC and they made Newfoundland that they just can't commence an investigation as if it would never pass through the uh, through the crown. Uh, but that's, I just believe it's lies. Uh, we see that murder is going on in this nation and people are going to need to be held accountable. On this report, I do ask that you would reach out to Commissioner McDonald and Superintendent Blackadar and uh, just send them a note. Send them a note that you're now aware that they've been fully informed for two years, uh, that Bonnie Henry, the health officer, is being criminally neg negligent, causing harm, including death, as well as the premier is involved in this, and that we're demanding that, that they commence an investigation and get busy on this subject. All right, like I said, I'm moving along fairly quick because I want to get Tom on. Uh, please make sure that you not only read through the information that we're providing you. I try to give you a crash course on whatever subject it is that we're addressing. And then it is requested that you, um, as a step of being actively involved, would take this information and share it all over social media, share it to your family and friends, because knowledge is power. And that's what's going to bring about the kind of change we need. We need more Canadians educated on what's happening in this country. And um, as I've mentioned last week, Trudeau's uh, relationship with the high ranking officials is an unusual one. Um, I can't imagine that he'd be given a smooch to uh, a high ranking uh, uh, RCMP commissioner if he happened to be a man. But based on last week's picture image with him with uh, Emmanuel Macron, the head of France, who who he was 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 in a very intimate embrace with, maybe I'm mistaken. But either way, it's not a good look. Um, and I believe that uh, it is one of the reasons why our RCMP commissioner is not taking action against Justin Trudeau after having not only just ethical violations, we're talking criminal and corrupt activity. So here's my good friend, Tom Quiggin with Danny Bulford. And what I love about this video is, uh, you know, I mean, the government police are trying to say that the people that overtook Ottawa were anarchists and that terrorism was was behind all of this. And these two individuals, uh, Tom, especially, I mean, he's he's been investigating terrorism. He's a terrorism expert. He's been to countries where we know like uh, maybe maybe some of the Islamic countries, uh, you know, that have actual terrorists shooting people and chopping their heads off. He knows what terrorism looks like. The peaceful uh, gathering in Ottawa came nowhere close. And so this just gives a lot of legitimacy who the individuals are who are speaking out against the government. Um, I hope you all aware of, you know, what's transpiring with Commissioner McDonald and uh, Bill Blair. I mean, talk about lies, corruption, covering for one another. 
And, but it's all coming out. And I have personally said for many years that I believe that Justin Trudeau is going to be the first prime minister removed from office. And I stand by that. And I'm even hoping that it may be coming very soon. So just an update. Uh, when we take a look at these figures, 45,316 dead, over 4.4 million people have been injured. Two million of those um, injuries are very severe and serious. They say that only one to 10% of the vaccination injuries are being reported. So you can just imagine what this figure looks like in reality. And we are all hearing about family, friends, loved ones, or somebody who knows somebody who's either had blood clots, heart attacks, cancer, et cetera, and dying. Time to clean house and overhaul the RCMP. And then as a final, will you please take this video of Aiden watch it and then share it. Action for Canada is to committed to giving our youth a voice. And we went through the eight week program. And I think that Aiden's uh, video presentation that he decided to give a speech on is right on point. Why are our youth 14, 15 years old thinking about the 10 stages of genocide? Something is very wrong in our country. And we can not sit back and be complacent. We need to be actively involved. So please help Action for Canada. Get into one of the chapters. Help us with our actions when we call on you. It's all very strategic as to why and when we are commencing actions. But we need your support. Um, we need a million people who are taking action. We really, really need to grow up this movement and this organization. Okay, whew, I'm just going to stop with that. And Heather, would you please come back on and introduce Tom and let's get the show going. Yes, I'm happy to. Thank you again, Tanya, for all your updates. We are so very excited to welcome for the first time to the Empower Hour, Mr. Tom Quiggan. Tom is a man of many talents and qualifications. He has over 30 years of practical intelligence experience in a variety of positions, including the RCMP, the Bank of Canada, the Canadian Armed Forces, and more. He is a court qualified expert on terrorism in both the federal and criminal courts, and he is highly qualified to provide expert testimony in response to the government's malfeasance regarding the so-called COVID crisis. He has repeatedly called out elected officials, senators, and police in response to their shameful lies regarding the truckers' convoy. Much of his current research focuses on issues of free speech, extremism, and social unrest. Now, you may recall that during the Freedom Convoy 2022, Tom assisted convoy operations by providing protective intelligence assessments to the convoy, police forces, and others. And if that's not enough, he is also an author and co-author of several books. Please help me welcome Tom Quiggan. Tom, thank you for joining us today and welcome to the Empower Hour. Well, thank you for the invitation. It's great to be back. That's good. Yeah, we're so glad to have you here, Tom. Thank you, Heather, for that. Okay, Tom, without further ado, I am just a fan of yours. You and I have been contact, in contact for a number of years. We met through uh, the government trying to pass Motion M103. And, uh, you know, that was quite a panic for those of us who are aw uh, awake and aware of the reasons that Trudeau was trying to implement that motion, which he they succeeded in. And, uh, you know, you ended up uh, presenting and providing 132 pages of evidence 
to Commissioner Lucky back in 2018, uh, allegedly uh, proving that Justin Trudeau, along with Ikra Khalid and a few others, had been funding terrorism. And uh, so that's a bit of your and my history. And then uh, we lost touch a little bit for a little while there, but then I saw you come back up and, and I'm so happy to see that you were on the front lines helping in Ottawa with all of your expertise. Uh, so with that, I just wanna hand the floor over to you. Please share with us what's on your heart and then we'll have a little more discussion and go to uh, Q&A. Well, thanks, Tanya. As you mentioned earlier, there's a lot of problems right now with the Royal Canadian Mounted Police. And as uh, was mentioned, uh, I've, I'm a former intelligence contractor with the RCMP. I worked for them uh, from 2000 to 2006. Uh, and I worked at the Integrated National Security Enforcement Team, which deals with issues of national security, terrorism, sensitive investigations into judges and politicians and uh, issues such as that. Uh, I've also, I uh, was mentioned, worked for the military, I worked for the War Crimes Tribunal, I worked for the Bank of Canada, and almost always in an intelligence and investigatorial capacity. So it, it's, a, it's a subject I've got some familiarity with. And as you mentioned as well, I've testified in multiple court cases uh, on both sides of the aisle, both for the defense and for the Crown. And uh, I was also declared a court expert on the reliability of intelligence as evidence in the courtroom, which was a bit of a first in Canada. But this evening's discussion, as you mentioned, is really to focus on the RCMP, the Royal Canadian Mounted Police. And there are so many things going on right now, it's almost dizzying to try and sort of list them all. But I think first for your listeners, we should uh, point something out <clears throat> and say that the job of the commissioner of the RCMP is to draw a line, if you will, between the government, which sits on top of her, and the employees of the RCMP who sit below her. So as commissioner, it is her job to look upwards towards the government and listen to the prime minister, to the minister of public safety, to the minister of justice, to hear their concerns, to hear their ideas, <clears throat> and to hear where they want things to go in government. So she is supposed to be the person who intersects with the politicians on a regular basis. Now, her job, however, is to ensure that that politicization does not go below her level. So in other words, deputy commissioners, assistant commissioners, and everybody right on down to the newest recruit at depot should be focused on the job at hand, focus on getting things done, not focused on worrying what the government thinks. So that's the same in every department, whether it's the chief of defense staff, the commissioner of the RCMP, or the deputy minister of transport, or the deputy minister of health. Their job is to provide that solid line between the politicization on top of them and the professionalization below them. What has happened to the RCMP over the past several years, and this predates Trudeau, to be fair, is that the position has become increasingly politicized. But I think the thing is, under the Trudeau government, and as people are increasingly call it, calling it the Trudeau regime, the politicization has gone right down to the desk level, right down to the constable level. So that constables in the RCMP, if they're out you know, chasing drunks on back roads in northern Manitoba, if they're going to a domestic dispute in BC, they're attending a murder scene in Nova Scotia, they're now as much focused on, you know, how will the prime minister think about this? What will the news say? as they are on actually enforcing the law. And this is desperate, this is serious, this is bad. This is, you know, without putting too fine a point on it, it is a nail in the coffin of democracy. It's really bad. So 
when I say this, I mean, what am I talking about? So first off, I mean, I think the thing everybody knows about right now is in Nova Scotia, there was a brutal massacre. 22 people were murdered. And there were questions right off the hop as to did the RCMP do a good job in responding, not to the actual shooting itself, but in the immediate after effects of that. And of course, it's come out that Commissioner Brenda Lucky interfered directly with the investigation in order to exploit the murder of 22 people to further try and support Justin Trudeau's new gun grab or his new gun laws. So not only is there like this horrible massacre where 22 people are killed, which means the lives of a couple of hundred people have just been ruined because they've lost mothers, brothers, sisters, cousins, friends, employees, all that sort of stuff. But the commissioner put her finger into the process to politicize it in order to benefit Justin Trudeau's new gun laws coming out. And this is just an unimaginable violation of two different things. One, She's interfering in an ongoing criminal investigation, which she should not be doing. Secondly, she's politicizing it. Uh, and to politicize the murder of 22 people to help a guy like Justin Trudeau, you have to really wonder, like, where is her heart in all of this? Where is her brain in all of this? And obviously, she's been thoroughly politicized. In a normal world back in the 1990s or the early 2000s, she'd be unceremoniously fired and shown the door. Nowadays, however, it's just like, well, you know, it's almost normal. So that's one. But just look at a couple of others. I'll, I'll talk about this as we go along. There was the RCMP's refusal to assist in the investigation of the Iranian shootdown of, of the uh, airliner that killed 55 Canadians and a couple of hundred of other folks as well. And that's particularly interesting because the RCMP's refusal to investigate that served the interests of Oh, yeah, Justin Trudeau and his brother, and his brother, by the way, Sasha, used to work for Iranian state TV. So the Trudeau government, through his brother, who's an official advisor to the government, by the way, has connections to Iranian state TV. So there's another one. And I'll talk a bit more about that later if you want. We also have the situation where former RCMP Commissioner Bev Boussin was lying to the Senate when she was advocating that the Emergencies Act be extended past its initial seven-day limit to take it to its full 31-day limit. She actually literally lied to the Senate to support the position of Justin Trudeau. Now, when I say she's lying to the Senate, what was she lying about? Well, she gave up, got up and gave this you know, highly emotional, very powerful speech about how Freedom Convoy 2022 had arrived in Ottawa and then she said, quite literally, it had been taken over by dark forces. And she actually used that term. It had been taken over by dark forces. And then she goes on to explain that the dark forces were highly trained, highly funded, highly skilled anarchists who'd taken over the convoy. And I remember I looked at that and I thought, oh, my God, what is happening here? She's a former commissioner of the RCMP. She should understand national security. She should understand criminality. Uh, we do have an anarchist, you know, a series of anarchist groups here in Canada. They're not a systemic threat to the state, but they do tend to be violent on occasion. But there is no way, shape or form that anyone can argue that anarchists somehow got into the convoy, took it over, and then we're trying to use it to overthrow the state. Now, 
Just for fun, it's also worth noting that the anarchists themselves, and this is a bit of a shout out to the anarchists who I don't actually support, but in fairness to the anarchists, it should be known that they hated the convoy. They wanted nothing to do with it. It represented everything they're against, which is like small business, uh, ownership, that sort of stuff. So I think even the anarchists must have been shocked to find out that they were being accused of having taken over a force which they actually pathologically loathe. So here we have an RCMP commissioner who is now a senator who was appointed by, guess who, Justin Trudeau, lying to the public, lying to the Senate about somehow this mysterious force of anarchists had taken over the convoy and that's why they're a threat. Absolute bunk. It's just, <clears throat> it's silly. It's that bad. Now, to follow that, we also had an RCMP superintendent, Denny Baudin, who was testifying to the parliament about the convoy. And they were going on about, you know, was there terrorism funding? Was there this? Was there that? And then they got talking about the freezing of the accounts. And large numbers of people, over 200, had a variety of accounts frozen because of their alleged or real connections to the convoy. Now, to be upfront, one of those people was me. I had two different accounts frozen because of that. So RCMP superintendent, Denis Baudouin, says to the parliament that, oh, yes, the people in the convoy were warned ahead of time that their accounts could be frozen. And I thought that was fascinating because I wasn't warned. And I used to work for the RCMP. They know who I am. They got my phone number. They know more about me than I do. Now, I talked to Danny Bulford, former RCMP corporal with whom I worked and with I did a video during the convoy. And I said, were you warned? And he said, no. And then I talked to a whole series of other people who worked with the convoy, who had their accounts frozen. And I won't mention their names here because you don't need to expose them. But each and every person I asked, were you warned ahead of time? And each and every one of them said, no, we were never warned. So over here, we've got an RCMP superintendent saying, oh, yes, everybody was warned. And over here, we've got the reality that nobody I can find, including myself, was warned. So again, the testimony of the RCMP to the parliament and by extension of the people of Canada isn't quite true. In my most recent book, Eyewitness to Deceit, um, I actually go into this and I explain in detail and I give all the information on former Commissioner Bev Boussin and all the information about the RCMP superintendent lying to the public. And I think this is very serious. Now, we also have a whole series of other things going on with this government. We had the SNC-Lavla investigation. Uh, now, to be fair, it's not just the RCMP, that was the Ministry of Justice, that was Trudeau himself intervening in the process to stop investigations, to stop things going on. But, you know, the RCMP didn't exactly cover itself in glory on that one. We had Trudeau's trip to India, where they took an actual convicted terrorist from India who'd taken a shot at trying to kill an, Andy, an Indian cabinet minister, they took this guy to India with them. Now, the RCMP is supposed to do security screening for anybody going on these trips, and it's anybody's question as to who failed there. Was it the RCMP that failed the job, or was it the prime minister's office who overruled them and took the guy? We don't know. Again, a lack of transparency, but it points at the RCMP as not being in a very good light. Then we've got the uh, Julie Payette, a uh, bit of a scandal. Uh, she used to be governor general until she was kind of unceremoniously removed. Turns out somehow the screening process forgot to reveal that Juliet, Julie Payette killed a guy in the United States under what might politely be called dodgy circumstances. 
She was involved in a domestic dispute that was not exactly clear, and she was involved in a series of politely put difficulties in her former job in Montreal. And again, you know, the RCMP is supposed to be pre-clearing all this stuff. And wow, you know, it really didn't get done. So then let's look at another case. We've got the Winnipeg lab scenario. Now, the RCMP appear to have been doing their job, or at least sort of, when they revealed that two Chinese citizens who were working here in Canada, who'd become Canadian citizens, and were working in the Winnipeg lab, which, by the way, is a level four lab. It is the most secure biological institution in Canada. And they work on all sorts of scary stuff, creepy crawlies, viruses, diseases, things like that. So supposed to be a super high security lab. Well, it turns out these Chinese, uh, former Chinese citizens were shipping samples of the work back to China when they went back to China after having escaped from Canada, after having been criminally charged for what they were doing, it turned out they're actually patenting work that they did while in Canada, which is basically fraud and theft. But here's the kicker. The RCMP investigation has been silenced. The RCMP won't talk about it. The government won't talk about it. And when the House of Commons committee asked to see the documents about what the heck was actually going on there, the Prime Minister of Canada stepped in, sued the Speaker of the House, which has never been done before, in order to silence the RCMP investigation and in order to silence the committee. So the question has to be asked, we already know the lab was compromised. We already know Chinese spies were in there. We already know they stole material and took it back to China with them. What is the government of Canada hiding? What is the RCMP hiding? What is it they're not talking about? And there appears to be two possibilities. One, that is that the lab was doing gain of function research, which is actually technically speaking illegal. And that involves taking a virus and modifying it so it can be weaponized. Or it would appear that the, the lab in Winnipeg was doing research on the Wuhan virus or what we now you know, more politically correctly call the COVID-19 virus. So again, there is some sort of huge cover up going on here. So. Tanya, I mean, it's difficult to say where to sort of point your finger and where to look at next, but there are so many problems in the RCMP, it's unreal. Mm -hmm. But again, to sort of go back to my initial point, the conversation here has to be on politicization. Has the RCMP been so desperately politicized by this current government that it is incapable of functioning according to the Constitution, according to the Criminal Code, and according to the Charter of Rights. And unfortunately, as a, former as a former contract employee of the RCMP, as a former military guy, as a former person who worked for the Privy Council office, I would have to say our government is in such bad shape now that when people say the RCMP has become the enforcement arm of the Prime Minister's office, I just cringe when I hear that. I just think, oh, you know, how can people say that? But the reality is that's where we're at. It has become apparent that in many cases, the RCMP is nothing more than the political arm of the PMO. And this is the kind of junk we see in third world banana republics. So, you know, yeah, it's unfortunate, but this is where we are. This is Canada. This is us. This is what we voted for. This is what, as the electors of the country, we have allowed to happen. And everybody blames Trudeau. True enough, he, he, he carries a fair amount of the blame. But I think we have to look around at the citizenry. That is to say, we have to point our fingers at ourselves and say, what is our role in all of this? Did we allow this to happen? Like, where are we? And yeah, this is where we're at, Tanya. This is us. This is Canada. It ain't a pretty picture.
It truly isn't, Tom. And so, you know, one thing I think that our viewers would like to know is like, what can we do? Where do we go? Um, how can it be that um, RCMP Deputy Commissioner McDonald, for instance, um, he claims to be a Christian, which I think is relevant. I think it's relevant because, uh, you know, we see individuals in the RCMP and we hear about all of the uh, drug trafficking and, you know, there's corruption in there. But if somebody's a professing Christian, you would think that they may have a higher uh, uh, ethical, uh, you know, guideline by which they would uh, rule in a limit to any corruption that they themselves may be involved in. And so I was quite hopeful when I found this out about Commissioner McDonald. And um, I was thinking, okay, maybe this is the guy who will stand on the front line and have something to say about it. Say Commissioner McDonald is, say he's wrestling with what's been going on in, in the last two years. As the head of uh, the E division, like to have the role of second in command, basically along with numerous other uh, RCMP commissioners, et cetera, of uh, other divisions within Canada, what kind of power do they have when they see corruption going on like this? Is there, is there something that they could do to uphold uh, the criminal code in this instance? Yeah, well, I mean, there's so many different uh, so many different responses to that question. It's unreal. Let me just start by going a bit off track and going back to the convoy. One of the things that was fascinating to me as a citizen uh, when I first started to engage with the convoy and said, look, I should be able to do protective intelligence for you, for the truck drivers, also for the first responders around us and also for the citizens of Ottawa. One of the things I found unusual about the convoy is there was a very strong sense of spirituality within the convoy. Much of it Christian, but not exclusively Christian. A uh, whole bunch of Sikhs showed up. Mm -hmm. uh, and these were Sikhs who have, you know, certain values and certain beliefs in community. And they, they were there because they thought they should be supporting people in the community. Um, a lot of people sort of tend to forget that the first event the convoy held was on the Sunday. And it was a prayer service. And uh, standing back like literally 10 feet from the stage, I actually kind of had to laugh to myself because the convoy was being called racist and homophobic <laughs> and it was being called white supremacist and we were being called terrorists and everything else. So just to take your viewers back, the first, the first official activity of the convoy was a prayer service. Who comes up first? A Dene clan, clan mother from the Northwest Territories and a Cree clan mother uh, from the West. And you sort of think, okay, they're not really good white supremacists if they're up there as clan mothers <laughs> as part of a sage uh, and purification ceremony. Next speaker up, Jewish truck driver. And I thought, okay, white supremacist, Jewish truck driver, I got a problem with this one. Uh, the next speaker after that was a Métis woman, uh, Tamara Leash, by the way. A lot of people tend to forget she's actually Métis. Uh, and then we had two uh, Christian preachers come up, one who was Mennonite, and the other is an evangelical black French-speaking preacher from Montreal. And I'm thinking, dude, you're, you're a black evangelical French-speaking preacher from Montreal. Uh, you know you're being called a white supremacist, right? So anyway, throughout the entire pattern of the convoy, it was interesting. This issue of spirituality kept coming up. And as one of the uh, preachers said during that thing, and as got pointed out regularly, the preamble to the Charter of Rights says that Canada 
is under the supremacy of God and the rule of law. And I think it's instructive to note that here in Canada and many other countries, there is, again, I hate the expression, but I'm going to use it because I don't have a better one. There is a war on Christianity. There is a war on spirituality that, you know, we must stomp out essentially morality. And here's my problem with this as a guy who's got a master's degree in political science and a guy who's been to a couple of wars in places like Bosnia and Croatia and Albania, and I've been in Eastern Russia and every other hellhole on the planet. I can tell you that when a government loses its morality, when it loses its spirituality, it is left with very little to guide it. It has no moral compass. Mm -hmm. So Canada right now, I think it's, it would be reasonable to say that the current government has lost its moral compass. So to go back to answer your question after having rambled for a while, it is good to see the odd person stand up and say that they hold a certain set of values driven by Christianity, driven by Sikhism, driven by you know the Mennonites, driven by whatever. You need a moral compass. And I know that within the military, within the RCMP, there is a constant tension between trying to do what is narrowly construed by law and at the same time trying to make sure you're doing the right thing morally. And that struggle is there all the time. What I would suggest to you is folks are losing the struggle. More often than not, when it comes down between trying to do the right thing and trying to follow orders from the top, what we're getting is a number of people who just fold like cheap suits and go. So to go back to our initial discussion, Brenda Lucky, a uh, primary example of somebody who has, my opinion, no moral compass, is not willing to stand up to the government and say, look, you guys take your politics and go back to parliament. That's fine. Go back to cabinet and fight over policy, partisanship. Great, go do it. But leave my guys alone. Leave my mm -hmm. people alone. Mm -hmm. She hasn't done that. And I think that's why we're failing. So the loss of spirituality, you can see the same argument in France. You can see it in America. You can see it in uh, the United Kingdom. You can see it throughout most of the what we would loosely call the Western world. This is a big issue. And I think if Canada is to try and get its feet back under itself, it's to try and get going again. We need to accept the idea that we need some sort of morality, some sort of spirituality in our government. Now, Canada is based historically on Judeo-Christian values. Uh, we're based on, you know, sort of European forms of democracy, particularly the uh, Westminster Parliament. And those things are founded, again, on supremacy of God and rule of law. It's right there in the Charter of Rights. It's not like it's hidden somewhere. It's right out there. So, yeah, we need to get back to that. And if we don't, it's a problem. So... Uh, you mentioned earlier about the video I did with Danny Bulford and why did he quit the RCMP? Exactly that. He saw stuff going on and say the RCMP will not stand up for its own personnel, let alone anybody else. And how does one continue to serve? So one last point on this, the RCMP right now has a disastrous problem, same as the military does. Their recruiting levels are way down. Why? Nobody wants to join the RCMP anymore. And it's weird because the RCMP used to have to put up walls to stop people from trying to get in. Everybody wanted to join a world-beating, highly respected, super well-trained, respected organization. Mm -hmm. And now the RCMP has become such a 
I don't know what word to put on it. We'll just step over that and, and say, look, you know, right. There's no yeah. honor. I don't think there's any honor left in the RCMP at this point in the, in the minds and the eyes of the majority of Canadian citizens. And in the article that I wrote, I pointed out that we are not here to, you know, abolish or defund the police and, and, um, and not that suggesting that you are, I just want to make that, make sure people understand that, but that's why we need to clean house because we've got a lot of good officers who are currently in the RCMP. And I can't imagine what it feels like to get up and go to work every day to try to uphold their oath when it's not being upheld from the top down. And they have no model of it and they don't feel protected in this environment, right? And that they're being forced to do things that go against their, their core values. Yeah, it was interesting. You just put up a picture of the musical ride and the musical ride was sort of the, the most a uh, globally known visual image of the RCMP was that picture you just showed. And the other one was the one that was on the back of the $50 bill with the, the musical ride in a circle. So during the convoy, when the RCMP and several other police forces went in and ran down that uh, uh, clan mother from the, uh, from the Mohawk Nation and you know, basically beat her into the ground, ran the other guy, and then beat the living crap out of guys like Chris Deering, who is a veteran. Um, the RCMP actually got caught. One of their guys on the musical ride, the RCMP's most elite service, was actually caught saying, well, great, let's go use our jackboots and beat these people down. And then somebody else said, hey, that maneuver where you run the old lady over with the horse, let's practice that one. Now, in the real world, back in 1990 or 1980 or whatever, those two idiots would have been fired. Boom, next day, gone. If they'd been in the military, same thing. It would have been administrative burden or whatever. Boom, you'd have been fired the next day for saying the RCMP should use jackboots to attack legal, peaceful protesters. It's not like saying we should use our jackboots to beat down a serial killer or a rapist, which you know you still shouldn't do. They still shouldn't be allowed mm-hmm. to say that. But to actually advocate using jackboots to run down a Mohawk Nation grandmother who incidentally was there legally. Uh, the, uh, the indigenous folks in Canada aren't covered by the Emergencies Act for a reason I don't actually understand. So they actually ran, I mean, it wasn't the RCMP, it was the Toronto police that did right. that one. But they actually ran a woman down who was a Mohawk grandmother uh, who was there legally. And then the RCMP guy says, yeah, well, you know, that was a great maneuver. Let's use our jackboots to beat some more of them down. Yeah. Not and a good- wonder, what kind of- why wasn't that person fired when especially when they're in the musical ride which is yeah. their premier uh, premier service and then if we go back to nova scotia as well in the shooting i mean <laughs> you know the rcmp uh, all kinds of uh, evidence to support that they did not respond they didn't follow protocol um, it's like, it, you know, it reminds me of a situation where there was the big school shooting, which Trudeau loves to take advantage of for his gun control up here in Canada. But, you know, one mother professed that she she was st- she came to the police because two of her children were in the school and they were standing there. They weren't going in to take care of the shooter. And instead, she crawled through a window, got her kids out of there. And, you know, there's a picture of her on the porch. And and this is the sort of image that I have, unfortunately, of what happened in Nova Scotia. Was there more that could have been done from the RCMP? Was this orchestrated? Why did Justin Trudeau so desperately want to hear, you know, about the style of guns, uh, you know, because they happen to have a a bill ready for a vote to uh, ban these guns? It's got to make you really question how deep does the corruption go? 
So yeah, there's a number of problems. Here's one of them. I noticed this when I was in the RCMP back in the bad old days, and this is like you know 1970s, 1980s, 1990s. Most RCMP folks coming out of depot were sent immediately to an actual policing position. And by a policing position, I mean you're in a car, you're responding to domestic disputes, murders, bank robberies, car accidents, uh, you know, unexpected death in the home, uh, welfare checks. You're out doing real honest to God person-to-person police work. Now, what we've had recently, and by this I mean about 2000 onward, there's this other idea in the RCMP, oh no, we got a bright young person there, let's put them in federal policing, let's send them to headquarters, let's put them in the diversity unit or something like that, and we'll push them up under the glass that way and get them promoted quickly by putting them in all these stellar positions. The problem is, they're not actually cops. They've never done cop work. They've never arrested anybody. They've never chased somebody down a, you know, down through the woods at night after a domestic dispute. They've never gone into a domestic dispute where, you know, your chances of getting killed are pretty good. So they lack actual police work. And then all of a sudden they're a sergeant or a superintendent and they put them in charge of a unit like they were in Nova Scotia. And one of the questions I'd like to ask is how many of those people in Nova Scotia had actual police work? And how many of them have been forced up under the glass through bureaucratic positions? The other thing that came out is none of those folks who were in charge down in Nova Scotia were from Nova Scotia. They didn't know the province. They didn't know the geography. They didn't know where Port of Pick was. And, you know, consequently, it's very hard to respond effectively if you don't know the terrain. Enemy Mm -hmm. weather terrain. Those are your big intelligence questions. And if you don't know the terrain, you don't know the people. You know, it's impossible to respond. So there was a bunch of failures there. But I think, again, to be clear, the guy who did the shooting didn't have an acquisition permit. The weapons had been imported from America. By definition, all those weapons were illegal and would not be covered by the new laws. So Trudeau attempting to politicize that by using uh, Mr. Bill Blair, the uh, the former honorable minister, um, and by using Brenda Lucky, the commissioner of the RCMP, was attempting to politicize a massacre for which he was partly responsible because he is ultimately responsible for the RCMP. And I mean, to me, it's just nauseating. It's disgusting. It's everything else. A quick thought on the Texas thing. Oh, you're referring to the school shooting there with a woman, you know, unarmed and untrained, decided to go in and rescue her own child. Perfectly normal. This is the role of mothers. You defend your young. And anybody that's ever been involved in policing or the military will know the the most vicious thing out there is a mother defending young. So images have come out, video has come out of police going into the school. They're at the end of the hallway. They're holding what look to be AR-15 or M-16 type weapons. They have ballistic shields and they were there three to four minutes after they arrived on scene. They got into the hallway with semi-automatic weapons and ballistic shields. You could not ask for a better setup if you're the assaulting force. You were there, you're early, you've got the right weapons, you've got ballistic shields, go. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and we've got so to remember what, as well, right, that the US is was trying to ban weapons as well, which last week, along with Roe versus Wade was overturned, their legislation was uh, dismissed as well. But it makes you wonder how how far do they want to go in order to manipulate society to feel like we are that there is some sort of critical gun 
threat in Canada in order to take away it away from law abiding gun owners, right? That's, I think, the scenario here. Um, it's the same kind of mind warfare they went through with Motion M103. It was highly questionable that when Motion M103 was tabled, um, it was, of course, uh, known as the Islamophobia bill or motion, uh, as if there's fear against Islam, which when any rational person would be fearful of radical political Islam, and you can't legislate against that type of fear. But they wanted to push it through because the Islamists are a threat. Radical Islamists are a threat to Canada. So next thing you know, my liberal MP is telling me that he was going to be absent for the vote. And he says, because you can't legislate against fear. And I thought, OK, well, that's good enough. Be absent. Why not go and vote no? But he wouldn't want to uh, you know, defy Trudeau. So he was going to be absent. So I thought, OK, good. Then the Ottawa uh, the mosque shooting takes place and he comes back and says, well, I'm going to, you know, vote for motion M103, as I'm sure will my friends across the aisle, referring to the Conservative Party because of this shooting, proving in their mind or what's that's what they were trying to reflect on the public is that there was attacks and um, a threat to specifically Islamists in Canada. And it was completely manufactured. Yeah, it's interesting to note that there are problems in Canada. People get beaten up, they get shot, mm -hmm. they get whatever, based on certain racial, religious characteristics, whatever. The pattern has remained the same for a year. Top of the list, Jews. Right underneath that, gays. Underneath that, blacks. And then under that, Muslims. So Jews, gays, blacks, yeah. Muslims are the people who, in order... Uh, are subjected to the most uh, vile forms of abuse because of, you know, whatever racist or abused right. people hold. So here's the thing. Uh, Muslims are number four. And although folks don't want to admit it right now, the amount of open abuse towards Muslims is actually going down, not up. And they're number four. So the question was raised by myself and a lot of people that said, well, if you need a special bill to protect people, why isn't it Jews or gays yeah. or blacks? Yeah. Why and, 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 and now you know, I think I think and, we could actually say maybe it's uh, the Christians are the top of the list right now. Christians are, well, are undergoing tremendous amount of discrimination yes. in Canada currently. Here's here's two other problems that I didn't mention. Two more RCMP problems I didn't mention. One is the whole church burning thing. Um, mm -hmm. And Trudeau saying, well, you know, you kind of have to expect this sort of stuff to happen. And it's like, no, you don't expect people to go around burning stuff down on a regular basis without investigating it. So how many people have actually been arrested, convicted or whatever for any of the church burnings, whatever? And to the best of my knowledge, one woman was arrested and maybe convicted and she was spray painting on a, on a, on a religious uh, building. And you kind of go, OK, she shouldn't have been doing it, but whatever. So they got her. And I think they got one other person. But there are about 60 open cases of actual church burnings and many other similar acts where nothing has been done. And you're kind of like, hello, police, are, are you there? Are you doing something well, now? The other one that's really serious is an actual act of terrorism. So the convoy, including me, was being accused of being a terrorist and taking terrorist funding and all this. And I'm an actual court expert on terrorism. Danny Bulford is a you know, counterterrorism guy. He's a sniper. He's on prime minister's protective detail. We're accused of being terrorists. While this is going on, there's an actual terrorist attack in British Columbia where a pipeline facility was attacked with heavy vehicle axes. People were terrified. Equipment was destroyed. How many people had their accounts frozen there? How many people were investigated? How many people are charged? The answer is a big fat zero.
Now, just before that, we had the train lines being blocked in Ontario. Commerce was being physically stopped because of that. Now, the convoy was attacked for the, the, con for the uh, border crossings, which wasn't the convoy. Those were sympathetic things, but whatever. Um, and they were saying, oh, the economy's suffering. That's why we made the Emergencies Act. Well, it came out afterwards that trade during that period actually went up, not down, based on samples from the month before and the year before. But yet, you know, the train lines get blocked. Nobody gets arrested or charged. A terrorist act with huge violence and massive damages carried out against an oil facility, nobody is charged, but yet the convoy, oh my God, we have to freeze accounts, jail people and everything else. And now we've just seen the arrest of Tamara Leash again, mm -hmm. which I don't wanna to go too far into that one for fear of jeopardizing the, the proceedings, but it looks suspiciously like a political event motivated by the government. Now, not the RCMP this time, it's the Ottawa police, but same difference we're seeing you know what appears to be a highly politicized effort occurring to try and silence people's voices just on canada day so yeah i mean that's just you know those are other things we didn't discuss well, at the outset but there's just a whole bunch more of those cases out there and it's 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 quite desperate it's bad it is and i'd say all of it all of it every single thing that we have been speaking about is all politically motivated in order in order to uh turn this into a communist state and advance the you know agenda 2030 uh, when we talk about the churches, uh, you know, they're not going to express a, a whole lot of concern about that because they have to crush Christianity in Canada in order to implement communism and in order to destroy our criminal code, which is based on uh, Judeo-Christian principles as well. It has been incorporated by bi biblical principles. When we talk about with the um, anything to do with the indigenous, and of course these graves which all have reasonable uh you know they've inflated this in order again to victimize a certain group and and um because the global agenda is to take our land and you'll be happy and to try to give this uh impression that the land belongs to the indigenous people so let's uh make it out that christians are bad indigenous are good christians have you know persecuted the indigenous people etc cetera, etc cetera. Never mind talking about it being the liberal government. Never mind talking about the facts that, uh, you know, these graves were not as, uh, you know, the uh, mainstream media and the government has reported. It wasn't actually a mass slaughtering of indigenous people or indigenous children. And so anything that they can stir up to create havoc in Canada to advance their agenda they're doing. So Tom, what I wanna do is I wanna to go to that time of Q&A and uh, people, if you have a question for Tom, please raise your hand. Terenzio, do we have people with a hand up already? Uh, not yet, but if we can get everybody to okay. raise their hands, I we do, can get a list. I do one have a couple thought. of questions. Mm -hmm. Okay, one quick thought while we're just waiting for the questions to pile up. Uh, I'm off tomorrow morning uh, to meet James Topp, uh, yes. who's marching across Canada on exactly these issues we're talking about. And just uh, just to you know declare myself here, I'm a member of Veterans for Freedom. Uh, we're helping James Topp with his organization. So just to let folks know that you know there's a uh, just declaration you know declaration that I'm involved in it. Um, one of the messages we're trying to get to the government through V4F and through James Topp is to say to the government of Canada to say, look, we're ex-military, we have been to Albania, we've been to Bosnia, we've been to Croatia, we've been to Kosovo, we've been to uh, this, uh, Mali, we've been to Iran, we've been to, or not Iran, we've been in Iraq, 
We've been in Afghanistan. We've been in the Golan Heights. We've been in the Sinai. We have been to every hellhole on the planet. Uh, we bought a, a bunch of guys in Veterans for Freedom who are ex-Special Forces guys, ex-Combat Arms guys, ex-Intelligence guys like myself. And we recognize stupid when we see it. We recognize violence. We recognize politics going wrong. Why? Because that's where we go overseas as we get sent to these places because they've gone sideways, because the politics has gone so bad it's become violent. Bosnia, Croatia, Afghanistan, Iraq, whatever. And what we're telling the government now is they're saying, look, we're sensitive to this. We understand this because we've seen it. We've bled, we've sweated, we've wounded, we've died. We've had people die in this stuff. And we understand what's going on. And we're saying, look, we hear these voices in Canada now. We hear the same stuff going on. The division, the hatred, the fear. Most important, we see the lack of hope. People have given up hope. They've been so financially beaten. They've been so abused. They've been so downtrodden. They've given up hope. And when you get people who lose hope and then they lose their job and they lose their income, that's when they start looking for alternatives. And unfortunately, what we're trying to warn the government is to say that there's bad stuff going on out there. People are angry. They've lost hope. They're losing their homes. They're losing their jobs. Their kids can't play hockey. Their kids can't go to soccer. They can't travel. Yeah. And if we get a major recession, which it looks like we will, you know, later this year, and just by way of uh, adding to that, I'm the former security and operational risk manager for the Bank of Canada. Almost all my work was related to social unrest. Um, like we're facing moderate to severe troubles here in Canada. And if we don't get going, we're going to see a lot more civil unrest in Canada, which is almost unprecedented in our history. So anyway, that's just one last little thought there. So it tomorrow, is. James Top mm -hmm. will be arriving in Canada. If folks want to go to Bell's Corner tomorrow morning to join him, if they want to go to Hogsback, if they want to go to the War Memorial, go to the website, Canada Marches, look at the routes. If you want to join us, you're welcome to. If you want to come down to the War Memorial and join us there, you're welcome to do that. Back over to you, Tanya. Sorry about that. Yeah, no, that's good. Uh, we had discussed in advance that we for sure wanted to highlight that event tomorrow. We have been encouraging our chapters and people across Canada to figure out where he was on his route and try to uh, get out there in support of him. And so I think that his final leg in this journey, I think it's 22 kilometers you mentioned that will be marched uh, tomorrow morning. And uh, I think that it's been an important journey to bring awareness. So please get out there and support that if you happen to be in the area. All right, I'm gonna blast a couple of questions out of you just from um, what my gals send me that people are asking, and then we'll go to a few online with Q&A. Uh, let's see, do you have any suggestions on what Canadians can do to support uh, Tamara at this time when all systems seem so corrupt? Any personal thoughts on her recent arrest? But I think you already mentioned that you probably shouldn't touch too much on well, uh, making a comment there. Yeah, one thing that actually does work, and I know this sounds tired and it sounds worn, look up your member of parliament, find out who it is, send them an email and say, hey, why was Tamara Leash arrested? Was this a political activity by the government of Canada? Why do we have political prisoners in Canada? One email to an MP, they won't care. Five, they won't care. 10 or 20 or more over a period of a few days and they'll actually start to listen. So just to get one more thing in here, James Topp actually communicated with every member of parliament and every senator and said, I wanna to talk to you guys about what's going wrong in Canada. Now, the convoy and Tamara and several others tried desperately to get anybody from the government to communicate, they got zero. James Topp was able to get more than 20 MPs to come out to two different meetings and actually talk to him. Huge victory. So folks, take a bit of hope, 
take a bit of promise for the future and understand that the winds in Canada, which have been blowing one way for so many years, the winds of hate, the politics of identity, the division, everything like that, those winds are now shifting and coming back a bit the other way. So now's a great time to jump in there. Yell at, don't yell at your MP, but I mean, metaphorically speaking, yell at them. Send them an email, ask them what's going on, ask them why they aren't supporting Tamara, ask them why they aren't supporting James Hopp, ask them why they're not going after the commissioner of the RCMP. And there's enough MPs out there now who are getting it. They know the winds are changing. So it's a good time. Jump on them. Let's go. So can you do right. something? Yes, you can. That's one thing that's easy. And it actually does work. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of uh, times we've seen in history that MPs and elected officials go where the votes are. And so don't fall for that as well. We want to see a lot of these individuals who have been silent for the last two and a half years or been complacent in the last seven years that Trudeau has been in office. We need to see those people removed. And that's one of the reasons why Action for Canada strategically is getting into every community so we can really affect change at the voting level. And that's why there is uh, strength in numbers and we need to build up those numbers. The other thing that we've been committed to do is of course, to give the silent majority a voice. You are the silent majority and we need everybody speaking up, emailing, phone calling and making appointments to help educate elected officials who are not actually engaging and even sometimes uh, having thoughtful reflection on bills that they're voting on. That's uh, just a little information that we know is happening and going on. They go with uh, the status quo. Okay, let me see, What? why are they allowing these people to commit treason and not yet, not yet be arrested? Uh, I'm talking about Tom and his movement. Why have they not arrested all those responsible? <laughs> well, first <laughs> off, we're veterans. Um, <laughs> we don't arrest people. We don't engage in violence. We have a very, very strict policy within B4F of nonviolence and legal civic action only. Now, if you want to ask a question and say, shouldn't somebody be dragged off in handcuffs because of some of this stuff? And here I'm thinking, I don't know, the folks from SNC-Lavalin, uh, maybe a couple of folks at the Winnipeg lab should be dragged out and asked what the hell was going on inside the lab that these things are allowed to happen. Um, that is a question to put to the Minister of Justice, Mr. Lametti. That is a question to put to uh, Marco Mendocino, who is the Minister of Public Safety, who is effectively the Chief Law Enforcement Officer for Canada. And again, if you want to ask questions, why isn't that happening? Direct those at Prime Minister Trudeau, direct those at uh, Mr. Mr. Lametti, the Justice Minister, and the Minister of Public Safety. A quick follow-up on your thought about voting and all this sort of stuff, mandates and accountability. Just so people know, in the last election that was held late last year, Mr. Trudeau and the Liberal Party got 21% of registered voters actually voted for him, which is a polite way of saying 79% of legal registered voters in Canada either didn't vote at all or didn't vote for him. So when people say, oh, I hate Trudeau, we should get rid of the government, I'll ask you a question. Did you vote or did you vote for anybody? Uh, and we need probably three, four, five percent of Canadians to come out and vote who yeah. didn't last time and vote against him or vote for somebody else. It doesn't matter, one or the other. <clears throat> and this guy is gone. He got the tiniest share of the vote ever in a position where he actually wound up as prime minister. So it's a bit of an atrocity when you look at how the Canadian justice system works, but the Liberal Party had been brilliant in gaming it. Uh, I mean, I really can't stand Gerard Butts, who's, you know, essentially Justin Trudeau's brain, 
But give the guy his credit. He's brilliant. He's gamed the system. And he's got true to his prime minister with 21% of registered voters. It's amazing. We need to fix that. Vote against this guy. Vote for someone else. Yeah, we need people to understand that uh, one, one vote, your vote, could make the difference and tip the scale whether he wins next time. And uh, so we'll talk parties at another time and who to vote for in an upcoming election and what's coming. I think something spectacular is going to happen um, is, as far as options are concerned. But like I said, that'll be conversation for another time. But we do have to take, uh, take responsibility. But my challenge to you, Tom, and this is why I've been pressing in to the uh, BCRCMP uh, top cops, because, you know, you're talking about uh, Medicino, Medicino, what's his name? Um, uh, Mendocino, Marco Mendocino, yeah. Mendocino and uh, Lametti, and they, they're both incredibly corrupt. And so, uh, you know, Commissioner Lucky, even if she was doing her job, she still has to uh, get cases passed in order to do an arrest through the Attorney General's office. Is that not correct of something of this magnitude? So how do we how do we get past this? How how do I further reach out to Commissioner McDonald and say, look, you have the power to make arrests? But he's saying, I, I can't get past the uh, AG's office in order to do that. Yeah, with, with most cases, the RCMP don't have to go to the attorney general. If you're you know drinking and driving, you get arrested, you get busted or whatever. The attorney general never hears about it, uh, nor should he. Super, super major cases like a terrorism case or something like a highly political issue, for instance, like the vaccine, uh, that's going to wind up on the attorney general's desk. So the fault with with Commissioner uh, Lucky there, or your local, uh, the head of uh, uh, the BC E Division, E Division of the RCMP, the fault there has to be that they need to speak out. And of mm-hmm. course, they've been trained not to speak out these days. Anybody who speaks out gets fired instantly almost, or they get buried or sent off to you, know, God knows where kind of a thing. But there used to be a culture within the RCMP of independence. Uh, the, the RCMP actually prided itself on how it was a major police force that could operate at arm's length from the government. And of course that's been lost. That's the politicization of the service and that's the problem. So again, you know, uh, people need to go to their members of parliament. They need to go to Lametti. They need to go to uh, Pinocchio Mendocino uh, as people are starting to call him and saying, why are you not doing your job? Now in my book, uh, Eyewitness to Deceit that I just published, there is a whole section in there on Marco Mendocino and how he repeatedly lied to parliament on all of these issues where he said, you know, the only reason we implemented the emergency act was because the police requested it. And of course, every police chief has gone, uh, wasn't me. I didn't do it. I didn't request it. Don't know what he's talking about. We also had Marco Mendocino say, you know, people in Ottawa were terrified, you know, because their apartment building was, you know, tried to be burned down by the convoy. And somebody jumped off, jumped up. I think it was Dane Lloyd, an MP jumped up and cut him off and said, no. The story about the convoy trying to burn down the apartment building was wrong. It was fake. It was a social media story. The Ottawa police arrested the two idiots, charged them, and they had nothing to do with the convoy. And same thing again. They're trying to say, you know, shotguns were found. You know, the Toronto Star reported, you know, shotguns found in the trucks. Completely false story. Mendocino keeps repeating it. Lametti keeps repeating it. It's a blatant lie. So, again, we need people. Send send a man, send a. a an email or send an actual written letter to your member of parliament, to the ministers and just say, why are you lying to the public? I'm tired of this. I want this fixed. Mm -hmm. And people are starting to get the message. I was pleasantly surprised and I don't want to get into partisan politics here, but 
We actually had an MP show up to meet James Top, which was like amazing. And we also had a statement from uh, the leader of the opposition in the House saying that if members of parliament want to go out and meet constituents at a freedom rally, they should do it. And I was like, I was shocked. It's like, wow, somebody in parliament actually said it's okay to talk to constituents who have a different point of view than the government. What a shocker. It's good. Again, my message to folks is if we keep hammering these folks and keep going after them with things like the convoy, with James Top, with books like my own and with stuff that you're doing, hammering away at them, sooner or later, MPs will get the message because they follow the wind at the end of the day. Whichever yeah, way the yeah. wind is going, that's the direction they'll go. And again, a message of hope. We're seeing that just starting now. So I'm actually a bit more positive than I was even mm -hmm. three months ago. That's good. Yeah, me too. And and uh, we're going to get to the actual people with their hands up. But I just want to also uh, give some hope to individuals. Uh, the work of Action for Canada most recently in posting that notice of liability against this uh, radical trans LGBTQ mafia who've gotten into our schools. Um, as a result, we have these pornographic and sexually explicit books that are in the hands of kindergartners up to grade 12, um, etc. And so that notice of liability is being served out by our members and by our chapter leaders. And one uh, section has already reported that an LGBTQ flag was taken down from a school. Another one said that a pride uh, parade was cancelled. And then we've got a superintendent who reached out right away and said, you know, why are you serving us this notice of liability? And the person said, have you actually read it? And they said, no, 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 there's no pornographic materials available to kids or anything like that going on, which is a complete uh, lie or misinformation head in the sand. So they, the uh, superintendent has committed to reading the notice of liability in its entirety with the message. So this is a very, very important campaign. I believe that if we can win against a massive force that the minority group of the uh, LGBTQ community activisms have, uh, activists have created in Canada and how much ground they've taken, it, we need to take back that ground, and I think that'll be a huge win. So I'm seeing uh, some hope in this as well. Terenzio, will you come on, please, and um, ask our first uh, yes. individual to ask their question? Yes, first guest we have is Susan. Susan, you should see a little message pop up on your screen. Susan, can you unmute, please? Going once. Oh. Twice. Oh, Susan. I know Susan. <laughs> I want to hear All from All right. Susan. We'll, we'll keep her in queue. Next, we'll go to Phil. Okay. Phil, could you please unmute yourself? There you go. Hi, Phil. What's your question? Well, uh, my first question is uh, about Tom Quiggan's case against the Liberals for funding terrorist, terrorist organizations. Um, I'd like to know what is the status of that case? And also, I'd like to know if you guys are aware that uh, Tom Peckford or Brian Peckford and his lawyer, uh, Heath Wilson, recently revealed that the Liberals were under, under no medical authority to impose travel restrictions or mandates. They did that all on their own. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, a lot of that, that a lot of that is going on with the liberal government. They they know that they are walking right over our constitution, our charter rights. They don't care. They're doing it because they have this uh, shield of protection with the AG and Commissioner Lucky, and they're just doing as they please to destroy this nation. But uh, Tom, why don't you address the case? Okay, first off, I'm going to do something wrong. I'm going to brag a bit here. I met <laughs> Brian Peckford. Uh, I'm really proud of that. He was here with the convoy. He was a big help to the convoy. Uh, he spoke to a room full of uh, reporters and other people. And it was an absolute privilege and an honor and just a fascinating experience to be in the room with a guy who actually signed the Charter of Rights and Freedoms. And he's just a super guy. So anyway, enough of that. Okay, the, the actual questions. First one, uh, the terrorism funding case. Uh, I would suggest to you that it has been successfully buried at the highest levels of the RCMP. Uh, and I've got a couple of letters back from them, you know, assuring me of their, you know, their great interest and their, you know, blah, 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 and all this stuff. Um, but bottom line is they've successfully buried it and done nothing with it. Uh, so that's the answer to that question. And yeah, I was aware that Mr. Peckford is raising the issue of does the government's action on imposing mandates, uh, such as the travel ones, does it actually exceed the power of the government? And the short answer is yeah. And you've just hit on one of my personal things that just drive me nuts is people go, well, you know, it's a mandate. And it's like, what does that even mean? It's meaningless. <laughs> Some bureaucrat somewhere in Ottawa who you've never heard of, who you can't find, you can't vote for or against, and you can't sue them or hold them accountable, passes some rule that suddenly says you as a Canadian aren't allowed to travel inside Canada on an airplane or a train. You can't travel to America. You can't travel to, you know, I don't know England or whatever. And this is because some bureaucrat uh, wants to do this. And like mandates have no actual uh, law. It's not like the bureaucrat said it and then the parliament voted a law on it, in which case, OK, now maybe you're stuck with it. I don't know. But I mean, the fact that we have to go around following arbitrary mandates by nameless, faceless bureaucrats. I mean, this is, I think, a fault on the part of the citizens as well. We don't understand our government. We're not teaching civics in school anymore. We should be demanding the school board start teaching the Constitution, start teaching mm -hmm. the Charter of Rights. Canada has a Bill of Rights. How many people actually know that? Most don't. 1962. Um, we need people to start understanding that as citizens, you have rights. You can challenge the government. It's your job to challenge the government. You're failing if you're not challenging the government. So, yeah. Next one. Just you didn't ask the question, but, you know, we're following the science. And you're not allowed to question the science. Yes, you are. The whole idea behind science is to question it. It's driven by questions and answers. It's driven by challenging facts. And that's how science moves ahead. So when people say the science is settled or we're just following the science, they're lying through their teeth. Challenge them. Anyway, sorry about that. that was a rant anyway. Well, it's good. You're passionate about this, Tom. That's what I love about you. <laughs> All right. Let's go to the next question, please. Next we have is Marianne. Hi, Marianne. Can you unmute? Sometimes we have difficulty with the... Uh... Oh, there Hi, we go. Can, can you hear me? Sure can. What's your Hi. question? Yeah. The, my question is, okay, James Top. To be honest with you, I've been very worried about him. I don't think he's safe. I really don't. Because if all those police could, you know, just charge into a bunch of people, and people I saw there, and... They were beat so bad and abused, and I don't want to see that happen to James. My husband's down there, too, and my oldest daughter. 
uh, they're all camping there. Like, are they safe? <laughs> I'm, I'm sitting home worried, sicker than a dog, you know, because uh, I, I'm just Okay, worried. so let, let me address that. And yeah, it's a good question and it's a good point to raise. Uh, the book I just wrote, Eyewitness to Deceit, is dedicated to a guy named Chris Deering. Chris is a former Canadian Forces Corporal. Uh, he served in an armored vehicle in Afghanistan. That vehicle hit an IED. The vehicle was blown up into the air. Three of the four crewmen died. Chris Deering survived. Um, barely. Multiple injuries, broken legs, broken back. It was just a horror story. Anyway, Chris Deering arrived at the convoy right towards the very end. And he and a number, number of other veterans perceived their role as placing themselves between the police and the participants in the convoy who were there as part of a legal protest. And the courts had said it's a legal protest. Chris got the ever living hell beat out of him. Excuse my French for saying that. But he got the hell beat out of him by the police. So for his service to the country, for his injuries in Afghanistan, he got the crap beat out of him again by agents of the state acting for Trudeau. So oh, one of our things we've said with V4F is this is not going to happen again. We're not going to allow this stuff to occur again. We have been working very hard behind the scenes, identifying possible threats. We have been very clear in dealing with municipal, provincial, and federal police that we're watching this. We're providing them with threat information. We're providing them with everything we can to ensure this doesn't happen. So one of the one of the roles of Veterans for Freedom is to say this kind of stuff can't be allowed to happen again. And without going into details, we're doing some technical work, some artificial intelligence work behind the scenes to ensure that anybody that get involved in this foolishness again is going to be held accountable. So we support police, we support good police, we support honest police. But if if there's police out there like that RCMP guy that says, you know, we're going to use our jackboots to beat down the protesters, this time around, we're going to push back and you're going to be facing criminal charges if you're involved in that kind of activity. So I hope James Top is safe. I know there's a number of police who are, are good people. They're working hard to try and make sure everything goes right. We've identified specific threats to them. We think we're doing a good job there. So we're hoping and praying this all goes well because his message is important. Uh, his role is important and the message he wants to take to the government it's important that everyone hears it. So short answer to the question is, we think he's gonna be okay. I'm gonna be there tomorrow, along with a bunch of other folks to keep an eye on stuff. So uh, say a prayer for James Pop tonight and let's hope everything goes well. Right, and Tom, you know, I know there's been a lot of concern surrounding Ottawa and the law enforcement that showed up. Uh, do you believe any of these people were shipped in? Do you think they were all official, official Ottawa police or RCMP? Uh, there were a variety of police forces involved. <laughs> let me let me just say something that's not too politically correct here, and I hope I don't get anybody in trouble. But the vast majority of the Ottawa police and the Ontario Provincial Police who were involved with the convoy from sort of day one to the last day were either doing the right thing or they were walking a very thin line trying to do the right thing. It is only at the very end where the whole thing went sideways in a very big way. The fingers there should be pointed at A, the RCMP, because they were in overall charge of it. And again, I'll be careful what I say here, but some of the worst aspects of what occurred on the last day fall upon the Surtez Quebec, 
uh, a lot of people said, you know, we saw foreign police there who were unmarked and they were speaking some weird foreign language. And the answer is, <laughs> yeah, they were. They were Surete and they were from Quebec and the foreign language, I'm, I'm sorry, was French. Um, you know, get with the program, folks. Catch up a bit. But yeah, so there were a lot of problems there and most of the weight there fell upon the RCMP who took over the operation at the end, uh, a certain amount on the Surete. And then to put, to put blame where it really belongs. The horses that did the trampling belong to the Toronto police. And by the way, the Toronto police are the same people that sent their mounted police unit down to a restaurant where a guy refused to close his restaurant because of the pandemic. And they sent a couple hundred cops and a mounted unit to go after one guy. <laughs> that was not an enforcement action. That was a political action. Yeah. Uh, that was the government saying, if you push, we will crush you. So mm -hmm. hopefully, uh, I think a lot of police have got the message. We've got communications from a lot of police coming to us saying they know what's going wrong. They don't like it. A lot of them are quitting the service. A lot of them are pushing back. And we're hoping that this very, shall we say, public demonstration of raw government power uh, has drawn a lot of Canadians to a situation where they're going, yeah, maybe that isn't quite right. That's the kind of crap we expect to see going on in, I don't know, Russia or you know, some other third world banana republic, not here. No, exactly. And and I was just kind of thinking, you know, we, we're seeing everything unfold with Commissioner Lucky in Nova Scotia, you know, handwritten notes being revealed and other communications. And I think everybody should get just right on it and request an FOI of the communications between Brenda Lucky and the RCMP over what transpired in Ottawa. And I'm sure that we're going to see more interference from the government putting applying pressure uh, to take some of those steps. So I'm sure and I'm hoping that that communication will come out in the very near future. Uh, okay, somebody's asked an interesting question uh, about Nova Scotia. I didn't I wasn't aware of this. It goes, how do the RCMP justify the large withdrawal from the shooter in Nova Scotia? Media has implied this is informant type of funds and when gathered from a non-public bank. Will this even be revealed? What was an uh, was he an informant gone wrong? Rogue. Rogue. Okay, now that's that's actually out there. That's being asked. It's a valid question to ask and it, re it deserves a valid answer, which you're not going to get, I don't think. So mm -hmm. what they're actually saying is the guy who is the shooter walked into a bank and asked for a ridiculous amount of money. Uh, and I, I can't remember, it was $400,000 or $700,000. And of course, small town bank, they don't have 400 grand sitting under the counter. Long story short, he eventually went to a cash center. Uh, and let me just explain that. A cash center is not a place where you and I can go. It's a distribution point uh, where the banks and the armored car companies get their money from. So the Bank of Canada prints money. Well, somebody else does it for them and they bring it to Canada. But anyway, so in the Bank of Canada, there's these monstrous great vaults that are actually full of pallets full of money. And I've been in them. It's stunning to see, let me tell you. That money is then shipped out to cash centers in Montreal, Toronto, Halifax, Vancouver, Edmonton, Calgary. And in those cash centers, which are typically run by a bank or a private company, that's where the armored cars show up. They take a bundle full of cash, they take it to the cash machine and they stuff the cash machine. So he went to one of those cash centers to get the money. And the question is why? And as a former Bank of Canada security and operational risk manager, my understanding of that is the only people who can get money from a cash center are the banks themselves via an armored car company that transports the cash for, from them or 
a situation where the government wants to send large amounts of cash to a private citizen off the books. Why would they do that? Typically because the person is an informant or an agent, a source or an agent, more correctly, I guess, for a police force or a federal uh, agency of some sort. So somebody is uh, you know, spying on a terrorist cell for the government and they pay them for their work, that cash may get transferred to them off the books in such a way that it's not traceable. So it's a perfectly fair question to ask, why did that guy go to a cash center to get that money? What's not happening is we're not getting the answer. There may be a completely legitimate reason why he did that, but again, we're not getting the answer and people presume the worst. And unfortunately, given the RCMP's recent display of behavior in Nova Scotia, where they're willfully trying to exploit the victims of you know 22 people that were murdered for political gain, you kind of have to think maybe there's something else going on there as well. Again, the RCMP needs to step forward and clear that up. Well, yeah, and you know, and it's just building, you know, on on the fears or how this uh, case has been highly suspect for many years. And like I say, uh, you know, Trudeau doesn't like to waste a good crisis, and he doesn't mind even creating them, as as we have found out, right? So it just really brings into question. I didn't know this detail uh, about the shooter. And that, you know, possibly he'd gone rogue and he was working with the government. But uh, it definitely brings into question the legitimacy of, uh, of the whole event and whether or not this was actually uh, created in order to assist with uh, banning guns in Canada, which you could really see would be of high importance to Justin Trudeau because we got millions of uh, gun owners or guns that are um, owned by gun owners lawfully in Canada. It's awfully hard to take over a country uh, when that's going on. So anyways. Uh, there's, there's Just let me introduce, there's one mm -hmm. good quick lesson here as well. The government and the media keeps complaining about, oh, there's all these conspiracy theorists out there and they're saying all this crazy stuff. Well, A, a whole lot of the conspiracy theories are coming true. That's one problem. Yeah. But the actual point here is, Conspiracy theories grow best in a vacuum. So when, when an issue arises and the government refuses to explain what happens, people will fill in the blanks with their own theory, i.e. a conspiracy theory. Sometimes they're right, most of the time they're wrong. But if the government and the media are worried about why all these conspiracy theories are popping up, the answer is, to be quite blunt, you suck, you're not doing your job, and I direct that directly at the media and directly at the government. If you were doing your job, most of the conspiracy theories would go away. Yes, right. And I, I feel quite hopeful, actually, that the amount of uh, pressure on the RCMP at this point, uh, I mean, they've got a big spotlight on them once again. Uh, but this Nova Scotia shooting incident and, and what's coming out is, um, I think, of paramount importance as far as the uh, pressure on, on the RCMP to get to a point where they can no longer turn a blind eye or be silenced, no matter if it's from someone like Bill Blair or Commissioner Lucky, they're going to have to step up and do their job because the corruption is that evident. So, uh, Terenzio, oh, sorry. Yep. Tom. I did say we used to have leaders in Canada would speak out every now and again and say something. General Hillier was a hoot. Uh, he was a Newfoundlander who was chief of defense staff who just didn't care anymore. Mm -hmm. And he actually started speaking out and saying exactly what he thought. We need a few more like him. I think the dam is going to break. I think it's going to come soon. All right, Trenzio, we've got three questions left with people with their hands up. So let's try to see if we can get through these and right. then we'll wrap up. Next one we have is from Weislawa. I really hope I said that right. Weislawa? 
Okay, can they unmute? Um, are you seeing a message pop up on your screen, Moislau? No. No. Okay. Okay. We'll go to the next. Next one is with Maria. Hi, Maria. Okay, I can see that she's unmuted, but I cannot hear her. Maria, can you say something? Okay, sometimes that's a matter if you sign off and sign back on again, Maria, and make sure to click use your audio, we might be able to get your question in. Let's go to the next one, Terenzio. All right, next one is from Cindy. I don't feel like I'm third one lucky. <laughs> I think you, you can go. hear me. Hey, uh, thanks very much, Terenzio. Um, so my question is really about the um, the Sherman murders. And I think I wanted Tom's opinion on that one because I read a really interesting article. Of course, it ties back to Trudeau. They were, he was being, you know, investigated by the RCMP as one of the key witnesses going back to his very first 2015 fundraiser. And so, Tom, I, I don't know, that this one has never been, let's say, linked to Trudeau before, but that Sherman, the whole thing with their bizarre murder scene and everything about it is just bizarre. So what are your thoughts on that one, if anything? Okay, just a bit of disclosure up front. I actually knew Barry and Honey Sherman. I'd met them. Uh, they had indirectly, uh, through a group of friends or whatever, helped, helped fund some of my research in years gone by. So oh, uh, just, just to say that, so it's out there. A um, couple of things jump out at the Honey and uh, Barry Sherman thing is, the first thing is, if somebody can get away with murdering a billionaire and just get away with it, right. that's terrifying. Uh, right. I mean, everybody should be equal. Everybody's, you know, we're all the same, et cetera. But let's, let's be serious. If you can get away with murdering a billionaire, where am I in all of this? You know, mm -hmm. uh, are they going to care about me if they can't fix that one? So there's the first thing. Uh, the second thing is, um, there's been a number of discussions around uh, he was involved in, I forget, some sort of thing. He was funding the Liberal Party, and it may have been a conflict of interest because of a lobby group, and I forget all the details it, Yes, of it. he actually but, did. But yeah, here's the thing. $1,000 group, exactly. Uh, yeah. Typically, billionaires don't kill people, and they don't get killed for that kind of stuff. They have boatloads of lawyers who are worth, you know, $1,000 an hour, and that's where that stuff gets fought out. So... You know, is there a connection between the murder, Justin Trudeau, the Liberal Party donations and all of that? I really don't think so. There is no there there, uh, so to speak. The other the other thing that was interesting is Barry Sherman's main job was to create generic drugs, which would then undersell the uh, patented drugs run by major drug companies Benny. like Pfizer and all those other folks. Uh, and a lot of questions have been raised. Did his work get him killed? In other words, uh, was some mega corporation so upset with this guy, they decided to do him in. Again, mega corporations like Pfizer, when they want to ruin you, they ruin you. They go after you with lawyers. They get your, they destroy your business. They destroy your friends. They destroy everyone around you. They don't typically murder people at least I hope they don't yet. I mean, Pfizer's a pretty bad outfit. They've lost court cases. They've lost billion-dollar settlements. But I don't think as bad as Pfizer is that, you know, that Pfizer or anybody else was involved in that. Um, again, however, having said that, uh, I'm kind of horrified by that whole thing because I knew them. I know some of the neighbors on the street there who were kind enough to help with my work. And uh, it is terrifying that somebody like that can get murdered and X number of years later, there is not a single shred of evidence that says what actually happened there. And that's terrifying. 
Yeah, for, for our viewers who don't know who the Shermans are, um, he actually, they owned um, Apotex and they actually uh, um, created or um, pro pro produced hydroxychloroquine. And uh, they were very well known for uh, having that industry uh, really ap apparently providing a great deal of hydroxychloroquine. And so that having been you know, a solution to COVID, uh, a treatment for COVID. There were some people who have suspected that they were murdered because of that. There is also other news that Bill Gates had uh, visited the uh, Shermans uh, several months beforehand and had wanted to purchase Apotex. And, and so again, that's a little rabbit hole that potentially might have some legitimate reasons why the couple were murdered. But yeah, I, I'm interested and intrigued by that story as well. Okay, so did we have uh, any last questions? Yes. Terenzio, are we good? Yes, oh, we, there we is? have, we okay. have uh, another question from Maria. Maria, okay, are you, Mar Maria, are you there? I think Maria probably tried to sign off and come back on with uh, audio. Okay. And potentially it's not working. All right. I do it. Oh, sorry. Uh, one last one. We could go with uh, Marianne. All right. Hi, Hi again. it's me again. Hi, Marianne. <laughs> Hi. I'm just wondering, <clears throat> a few years ago, well, when all this first happened, I went to London, Ontario um, to a freedom rally where Chris Guy was speaking my husband and I and my a few of my children and that went to a restaurant after that. Now we hadn't even heard of a vaccine passport. So <clears throat> we went into this restaurant and they, they just went in and they wanted to go out and have cigarettes and I don't smoke. So I just stayed in and I went and sat down in a seat and uh, the guy came over and says, have you got a vaccine passport? And I said, no. What's a vaccine passport? You know, so he said, well, if you don't have a passport, you have to leave. I said, I'm sorry, but I can't even stand. I said, I've had leg surgery. I'm sitting down. I'm like 70 years old and I've got a few different illnesses. Like uh, I just right. I just can't move right now. You can just wait. And he said, well, I'll have to call the police. I said, well, do what you got to do, because I didn't think anything of it. Well, the police came in, and I mean, 16 squad cars came for one little old lady. I'm sorry. I'm not, I'm having a hard time talking about this. I'm very angry. Mm -hmm. They physically grabbed me, threw me on the floor, and carried me out the back door. Six police officers on one little woman who's four foot 11. I mean, I, I'm sorry. I hate the police. I hate them all. I don't trust them. Mm. And what I know is when my kids were little, I used to say, oh, if you ever get lost, if anything ever happens, there's the police. Mm. You can always trust them and tell them they'll help you. Now I tell them to hide. Don't go to the police because they're the bad guys now. I'm so yeah, sorry. 
there's mm-hmm. a real problem here. And I'm sorry to hear that. I mean, you're not the first person that's happened to you. And unfortunately, you're not going to be the last, especially amongst the younger police. They're now being told, you know, you're there to follow the rules. You just do what you're told. The idea that you should actually think your way through a problem or try and do any kind of rational assessment on scene is not there. Let me tell you another story. I wasn't going to mention this one, but um, here's a question that I answer in my book, Eyewitness to Deceit. People actually ask, how did the convoy get started? And I was a part of it, and I didn't know how it got started exactly. So here's the answer to the question. It happened because of someone like you who suffered because of government overreach of over-enthusiastic police using excessive force to enforce a mandate which is highly doubtful to start with. So if you want to know how the convoy got started, it was CBSA. It was the Canada Border Services Agency in November of 2021. Bridget Belton, a female truck driver who's a staggering five foot two inches tall, was approaching the border from the American side, coming back into Canada, and she was wearing a face shield because she doesn't like wearing a mask because she's the victim of domestic abuse. Somebody tried to suffocate her, and she discovered when she put a mask on, she'd kind of start to panic from a sort of claustrophobia, violent reaction, PTSD kind of thing. So she wore a face shield instead, crossed the border several times, no problem. This time, just after the new mandates, you know, attacking truckers who, you know, for two years have been traveling with no problems, now all of a sudden they're criminals. They threatened her with arrest, pulled her out of the truck, didn't want to listen to her PTSD story. And she was so horrified and terrified by this abuse, by this government overreach. She actually did a TikTok video later that night and said, that's it. I'm done. I can't be a truck driver anymore. I can't live anymore. I'm thinking about suicide. I've just been so horrified by the domestic abuse. And then the sort of response of being forced by three armed men out of her truck because she wouldn't wear a stupid mask even though she's wearing a face shield outdoors, um, that she said, that's it, I'm done. Long story short, she went on TikTok, she went on a couple of other social media platforms and said, am I the only one or is there something really wrong here? She started getting a lot of stories from other people that said, yeah, me too, government overreach, I was attacked, I was abused, just like you were. And that's how she started reaching out to people. She eventually runs into a guy named Chris Barber, who she'd never met before, They get going to cut to the chase. That's how the convoy started. So your abuse maybe didn't get you anywhere uh, other than, you know, chucked out the back door unceremoniously. But you should know that the abuse of the CBSA on other people actually did form a pushback. And that's how the convoy actually got started. Folks don't want you to know that. They're blaming, oh, you know, white supremacists in Alberta. But the fact is, it was a five foot two inch woman who was a, a, a victim of domestic abuse, who was so grossly abused by government overreach, enforcing stupid mm-hmm. mandates, that that's how it got started. So I know that doesn't help your situation, but I hope it gives you a bit of a courage and a bit of a feeling of hope that other people in your situation actually started to push back. And it started a wave, which is now hopefully going to carry us into the future. So I'm sorry to hear that happened to you. Uh, try and rebuild a bit of hope, try and rebuild a bit of faith, and maybe we're looking at a better tomorrow. Thank you, Tom. All right, uh, Terenzio, are, are we done there? Yes, we are. Okay. Well, Tom, do you have anything that you would like to add or uh, say in closing to our viewers? Yeah, just one quick thing. I mean, um, 
We haven't talked a lot about the mainstream media. I mean, tonight we were focusing heavily on the RCMP. If you want to look at a problem in Canada, it's the mainstream media, especially mm -hmm. the government's funding of the mainstream media, $600 million in cash, a couple hundred million dollars in advertising. Just by example, the Toronto Star ran this hit piece on me, and one of the things I've been called in the media is, Tom's an anti-vaxxer. Now, here's the thing. Most of the people in the convoy were actually vaxxed. And I always, I now carry my little book around with me. It's my uh, vaccine book that we all used to carry because I'm ex-military, I've got one. And oh yeah, by the way, I should tell people, I've actually got two of them. I've got a second one in the back because the first one is full. So when they tell you, you know, you're an anti-vaxxer and you're a, you're a fascist and you're a white supremacist and all this, it's utter nonsense. I am not anti-vax. I've had more vaccines than most people in Canada. And any reporter that wants to challenge me on it, you can come look at my book and see the, you know, the huge list of vaccines that I've had. Mm -hmm. Here's the thing. I'm not anti-vax. I'm vaccine hesitant. Why? Because this vaccine was presented to us as 100% safe and effective. And right there, I knew that was a lie. No vaccine in history has ever been 100% safe, ever. The other thing we were told is the companies have no legal liability. And that to me was the first clue that, hey, if this thing is 100% safe and effective, why do they need 100% protection from liability unless they know something's wrong? Anyway, raise questions, use the science, challenge authority. It's your right as a citizen in a democratic country to hold the government accountable. That's the whole idea behind democracy is to challenge authority, to challenge government. Keep doing it. It's working, and I hope we're getting somewhere. Tanya, thank you so much for your work. You've been a big uh, a part of pushback in the government, and hopefully this will be one more step in the pushback against the increasing centralization and the increasing sort of totalitarian nature of the prime minister's office. Super, Tom. Yeah, thank you so much. Uh, you know, we're going to have to have you on again. I absolutely, I, you know, I'm, I'm sitting here as host and yet I'm so engaged every time you start speaking because you have so much information to share as far as, um, you know, uh, the background information, I guess. We get the front line, you know, maybe what the media will share with us and then you contribute and you would just add so much more to that. And uh, I, again, Thank you so much for being on the show, and we welcome you back another time. Cheers. Thanks, Tanya. All right. Thank you. Woo! <laughs> really, seriously, I sit there and listen to Tom. You know, I've had many phone con conversations with Tom as well, and I just feel so informed and educated after uh, speaking to him, and I really thought it was important to have him on the show tonight, and I really will uh, make a point to have him on again because I think there's so many more things that we could be discussing. And so now I just want to let you know, uh, next week's Empower Hour, we're going to have Ted Kuntz from Vaccine Choice Canada on. We'll be sending out one of our weekly emails, of course, uh, reporting on uh, some updates on vaccine harms and injuries. Um, I've learned that there's a website that we have access to that will say, you know, uh, it's about a bad batch or what was my batch. It tells you if you were somebody who seemed um, 
deceived and got the vaccination or else I, I don't want to call it a vaccination, the injection, but you can actually go in there and put the lot number, the, the number that uh, was coincides with that injection. And you can check out um, if there's been harms associated with it, etc. So that will be a great email. I'm super looking forward to having Ted, Ted Koontz on as well. He's amazing. Uh, he's doing so much for Canadians. I really think this is vaccine choices time to shine. Um, and I think that they're bringing awareness as well, even to uh, the childhood vaccinations, where it used to be 16 doses and four shots. It in 2019 was 16 to 17 doses and 72, sorry, 16 to 17 shots and 72 doses. And I believe now it's up to 100 doses for children. And uh, of course, they're targeting the elderly they basically say it's from the cradle to the grave that the pharmaceutical companies are wanting to uh, jab people with um, all of their highly toxic chemicals. It's just not necessary. We've got to wake up. We've got to find this as an opportunity to be willing to have the conversation about uh, uh, vaccines um, as, a, as a total, not just the one that we've been faced with or the five that we've been faced with um, in response to COVID-19. All right. Um, again, thank you so much for joining uh, for joining us. I do want to just give a little bit of an update. I neglected at the beginning. Taboo talks on Tuesday. I'm putting a pause on those till the end of summer because I know a lot of people are in holiday mode and wanting to enjoy the time with the summer and your kids and family. But please, please understand the restrictions have only been lifted. Not one province has actually. Uh, rescinded the provincial emergency measures and that way they can easily implement them again and invoke them in the fall. So uh, be active with Action for Canada in whatever way you can during the summer. Make a point to build, help us build community within the chapters and uh, to be actively involved in serving the new notice of liability to school board trustees, principals, educators, uh, because they are in the office right now, I believe for the next week or two. And then again, we'll commence this, uh, uh, recommence this action in the middle of August because we really need to protect our children. All right, well, thank you again so much. As always, God bless you and God bless Canada.
doctors across the nation. We are going to be in every town and every city, and we are going to build communities within these communities of like-minded people who are actually going to care for one another again and love on each other and give each other the help when they're down. Thank you so much. I'm going to say God bless you. 